Hello and welcome to The Naked Scarf. I'm Adam. And I'm Andy. And in this episode we're going to be looking at The Deadly Assassin. Now, Andy says he doesn't want to do a plot synopsis for this one because due to um, real life technical difficulties we watched it two weeks ago and we're recording now. And she claims she can remember it but she can't be bothered to put it all together as a plot synopsis. So, you get one of mine which are shorter and simpler and usually a lot more to the point. So, we open with the fourth Doctor Travelling alone, having received a call in the previous story, The Hand of Fear, from Gallifrey to return, and he gets a sudden vision in the TARDIS of the president of the Time Lords being killed by himself. And anyway, he uh, rushes to Gallifrey, there's a lot of running about, the president's killed, uh, the doctor's arrested for it, turns out, of course, the doctor isn't responsible for it, the master is, the doctor goes into the Matrix, uh, before uh, about 20 years before Keanu Reeves and there's a lot of punching virtual reality punching he gets out of the matrix there's a traitor on the high council which of course is not a plot device that has since become completely overused in Doctor Who and uh, it turns out the, the, the master is after the Eye of Harmony because he's run out of regenerations he's all he looks a lot like uh, Skeletor in this and um, he wants the power from the Eye of Harmony to give himself more regenerations, and anyway, he's defeated, and the Doctor goes bugger, goes away. Goes bug, 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 obviously, is what I was trying to say. Um, yes, the Doctor goes away, and to fight the Master another day, or Innkeeper of Traken. Yeah, but you know what the problem with your plot synopsis is? There's no pizzazz. <laughs> They can't see the jazz hands I just did, that's a real shame. Well, well, no, it's, it's not so much that, it's the fact that because it didn't go on for five minutes, we're now going to have to fill an extra five minutes with completely we have, insightful. We have no set time on these things. Oh, um, anyway. Shall I start? Well. Or carry on? Uh, yeah, yeah, you go ahead. Okay. It can't be any worse than uh, our last attempt. Uh, yes, we should point out actually, and I'll apologise for this, this is our second attempt to record today, because <laughs> Andy had to get up for a job interview this morning. At six a.m. and she, after the job interview, she came over here to do this, and then she fell asleep about twenty <laughs> minutes in. Um, I, I I ought to explain actually. I have narcolepsy. You know that thing where you fall asleep, and and it's never usually a problem because you know they give me grade A medical speed substitute um, and amphetamines, which keep me awake. But the excitement of the job interview um, kind of uh, uh, didn't really help with that. It overrode it, and I fell asleep halfway through our podcast. <laughs> I have. He delete- kept stopping it and saying, "Are you sure you're okay, Adi?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm fine." <laughs> she, she just kept slurring a little, and it's like, and then this thing happens, and it's it's kind of significant because, yeah. And I just kept thinking, this isn't going well. This is definitely lacking our normal banter and wit, and I, I'm actually having to say everything for once. Although I'm surprised that Adam's complaining about that because you know he got a word in edgeways. So this is, this is rare. I know, I completely forgotten where we, where we were. You were going I would, to start. So we, yeah, I was going to start. Right. So, uh, this is quite an important story. Um, it's a story of many firsts. It's the first story set completely on Gallifrey. It's the first time we see the Doctor without a companion, which was unique in the original series, uh, though now we do see it in the new series. But there's always a kind of companion substitute, like Kylie Minogue or Donna in The, in the Runaway Bride. And in this, there isn't really that. Uh, it's also the first time we see someone other than Roger Delgado play the master. In Doctor Who history, it's, it's, it's very important. It establishes a lot of the mythos. It's also like the first time we hear of Rassilon as well. And it also establishes, unfortunately somewhat, the uh, 
pattern for every Gallifrey story that came after it, like Ark of Infinity uh, and, I suppose, The Invasion of Time, where the Doctor comes back, there's a traitor on the High Council, a Time Lord tries to kill the Doctor, there's some guffins with the Matrix, and then the Doctor leaves again at the end. Is guffins an actual word? It is. You hear, you hear people talking about MacGuffins. MacGuffins, but... yeah, but guffins. Well, it is now. You're tinkering with the very foundations of our language. I'll tear apart reality. Um, but yeah, so yeah, my point is it, it, it's, it is very important, this story. So, uh, random question, let's start with. Throw this out to you, Andy. Does this work? Uh, does a doctorless companion... Uh, does a doctorless companion... Does a companionless doctor work in this story? I, I think it does, but there's uh, he, he has a, a whole race of his own people now to uh, to to riff off of, and uh, and he has an adversary in the master who, well, you know, the master and uh, and uh, the the time lord that he's uh, uh, using for his purposes to, to sort of goth, uh, who ironically enough is the least gothy looking person ever, and unless you're talking in the you know um, uh, sort of uh, old European tradition, um, but 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 yeah, this is a history lesson. Um, anyway, um, uh, they were race people. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I do think it works. I I do. Um, I think it's, it's interesting. You say he's got a whole race of his own people to play off, but none of them really feel that normal companion role. Oh no, no, I mean they all, they all do things like ask questions and explain things. But actually, the Doctor has a lot of times things being explained to him as well. Like, yes. Um, but there's not, like, like I said, like in, in the Christmas specials and stuff, like the, the, the RTD ones, we get, like, substitute companions, but there's really no one who feels... There's not, like, a young female type, plucky female Time Lord who comes along and gives him a hand for this story. It's all adults. It's all male adults. It is, and... Uh... In fact, is there a single female speaking part in this whole... I'm not accusing anyone of sexism. I'm just wondering. It's not. I'm not. No, actually, I don't think there is. I, I, evidently, Gallifrey is overpopulated with men. I suppose that's partly the thing of Gallifrey's the, the way a bit they, like China. They, they, the, the way they present. Um, you do come in some weird comparisons at times, but occasionally brilliantly insightful. Um, <laughs> we, I suppose it's, that's partly the thing of, of presenting Gallifrey as being basically like a big, stuffy university, very stale, full of old men. Yes, yes, definitely, because we we had seen um, uh, previous uh, Who episodes, uh, you know, where females were in uh, positions of power, so it's it's, it's interesting that they've uh, actually um, chosen to portray, uh, up until this point, the the Time Lords as uh, as, uh, majority of us. Does that mean that the first female Time Lord we actually meet is Romana? No, no, because in Invasion of Time, there's at least one female character, I want to call her Rodan. That's the name of a monster in the Japanese monster movies, but I'm sure that's actually her name, Rhoda. Right. So she's no, it's not uh, Romano. Isn't the first? Okay. Um, yeah, no, they they seem to be a bit of a, a, a scarce uh, commodity. And obviously, in the eighties, we get Flavia. Yes, I think, I think that's pronounced your name. It sounds it sounds like uh, Flavia Flavia Flavor. I'm now thinking Public Enemy. But, uh, Flavor Flavor. Oh my God! Do you remember that reality show he had on MTV? No, I never watched it. Was it? Uh, I don't really watch reality TV. I watch unreality TV. Uh, I much prefer it. Yes, no, that, that's a nice way of putting it. Actually, no, um, I, 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 I think that I might have watched it like as some way out of sense of myself there as Sunday morning television. That's a nice euphemism. You mean when you got back late after partying and were wide awake? 
Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, so anyway, that's enough about talking about Flavor uh, Public Enemy's um, uh, reality really TV show on the Doctor Who podcast. It's interesting because I suppose at this time, there aren't generally in Who, this is still the early, early mid-70s, they're getting better with their female representation, but it's not a... A, a big thing per se yes. and and you realize that the companion who's traditionally female it'd be interesting to go back and see how often sarah jane is the only female character or one of the few female characters in the old stories actually let's do it let's stay up all night and, and watch it. i'd love to i'm going to paris tomorrow oh yes of course i'm, I'm going to paris so i can go to the bottom of the eiffel tower and show bye-bye duggan oh 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 it's a shame that i can't go and lend you my scarf and you can get a picture of it's going to be very warm I think I don't think yeah well it would be worth it for the sake of the picture that, that's true we'll, that's we'll true. have to do that thing where you go to the, the Blackpool town sometimes I come up with a number of different like uh, trips we can do based on Doctor Who uh, I want to go to the like bottom of uh, Blackpool Tower like well, ideally Eiffel Tower but you know in this country Blackpool Tower uh, which looks a bit like the uh, Eiffel Tower for, for American listeners and, and like get a picture like you know the one of uh, Romana and uh, Doctor in, in City of Jeff with the scarf all tied around them and then I also intend fully to do a road trip down to Wales so I can stand on the Torchwood step there was this guy uh, once who who offered to give me the Torchwood tour of Wales um, I don't think he was actually asking me out at the time because he had a girlfriend so no it was just a nice gesture and uh, and also Wales has the Blink House well obviously Wales has the most paranormal activity for <laughs> a small place ever um, thanks mostly to the BBC being uh, <laughs> partially located there but uh, yeah Sorry, okay. that was a massive tangent. Do you want to bring it back? I, I'm not entirely sure where we were originally. Yeah, because the, the timelines in this are presented as being very stuffy. It's beforehand they've always been like war games. Uh, they were presented as being very godlike. You know, they look like monks. They're, they're very serene almost yes. in that in that story. Quite cold and heartless in the way the way they treat the Doctor, but definitely serene. They don't seem bothered by a lot. And then we do see them in crisis briefly, like three doctors. Yes. But this is the first time we really see them. And they're a very stale society. It feels stuffy and you understand completely why the doctor left. It is a very claustrophobic... The doctor's a real chaotic element in this society. He doesn't follow the rules. He doesn't like the rules. He just... You can understand why he left completely. And I like the idea of the Doctor like canoeing through uh, Gallifrey in his teenage years with a massive anarchy sign sprayed on the him, side him of the stars. Him yeah. and the Master. Him and the Master. That, that's probably what happened, actually. They were both anarchists, and then the Doctor grew up, and the Master never could. And, and I'm so going to write this as a, a story and then submit it to the Beeb, and, and nobody stole my idea. Yeah, no, I, it's I, okay. I, I'm there's not probably really fanfic that. that's done that already. The Doctor, the anarchist. Um, Oh god! I had a point I was going to make. I have so many points in life I'm going to make, and they all just kind of drip out of my out of my head. Because the the master is looking for the Eye of Harmony, which is this big power source of the TARDIS, and is now pretty well established because it comes up in the TV movie incorrectly, yes. but it comes up. But it, what's in the Time Lords? These great powerful beings have no idea it's there. They don't even know what their own power is. They're so used to it just working yeah. that they're like, "What's that?" And this is interesting that the Eye of Harmony basically traps and stabilises a black hole and this thing about it never withers and it never changes and that's a perfect description of the Time Lord society that we see. Yeah. It's stuck with these kind of arcane rituals. It doesn't change so it almost needs some kind of destruction which it doesn't really ever get. And destructive elements like the Doctor and like the Master because the Doctor is a destructive element in his own way. Yeah. He's quite an anarchic, talking about being an anarchist, but an anarchic element 
Uh, but elements like that always purge from 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 Gallifreyan society. You can see it because the, the master, the doctor, the run. There's a lot of um, in 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 the TV series and also just in spin-off fiction. There's a lot of renegade time lords around, but they're all forces for change or destruction. Yeah. And here we see what happens to a society that gets rid of that kind of, I don't want to say rebellious element. If it doesn't have it, then it just doesn't change. And when something d- terrible does happen, they don't know how to cope. You know what, that is actually a, a fantastic example of uh, a, a Millsian uh, idea uh, where, where he said that... Uh, 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 oh, I'm about to go into a bit of philosophy. No, it's fine. Okay, no. Uh, uh, basically, uh, when when he uh, wrote his um, her brilliant work on liberty, um, he uh, used uh, uh, the idea. He, he, he pioneered something called the harm to others principle, which basically meant as long as nobody else is getting hurt, then people should be free to do what they want. It's, it's a bit more complicated than that, but but that's it, put simply. And uh, and 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 he uh, gave uh, examples of, of what happened when you didn't allow people uh, this kind of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what happened to societies? And in fact, he used China, <laughs> bringing it back. Um, uh, as an example, and, and, and called it like a, a stagnant society, a stagnant pond. I think was his metaphor because the people are so suppressed, and and um, and, and life was so uh, sort of ritualized and 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 predictable that um, he thought that change uh, uh, stopped occurring. Um, uh, it stopped driving the society forwards. Mm. And then he said that that's what you have to fight against. So in uh, his way, I think that uh, the Doctor is, is a bit of a Millsian. Uh, 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 here's to some Millsian philosophy there, uh, which is interesting because it gives him a slightly libertarian edge. Uh, I, I know that some people fight me on that and call Mills utilitarian, but they're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. No, Um and and uh, and yeah, I, I think that's fantastic because uh, Mills is, is my very favourite dead guy in the whole world. When we eventually do a uh, podcast on the Happiness Patrol, which I'm really looking forward to. Yes, I um, know you are. I won't do it until they release the Ace box set next year. Okay. Because um, I want it with the DVD and the extras and just to get any extra inside. I, I have this whole thing about the Doctor as an anarchic force, but only an anarchic force on other planets, never on 20th century Earth. Where he usually fights for the status quo, while on other planets he's often toppling the status quo. That's very, very interesting. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been thinking about it a lot. <laughs> I want to talk about recently. it now. No, I'm joking. Well, well, I do want to talk about it now, but that's that we're talking about the deadly assassin. God but, damn it! But here, but, it, but on Gallifrey stories, he never again. He never really changes. Anything as such. No, it's, it's and it's interesting uh, in the way the society is perceived. I mean, the, the uh, design um, is obviously quite important. Now, uh, you'll notice that there's no natural light. Uh, the the no, designer talked about uh, it being inside the planet, Gallifrey being inside mm. the planet planet and so um it's, it's it's quite a dark place uh it, it feels like it would be quite claustrophobic quite stuffy quite airless the design for the costumes whilst they were very bright and splendid they harked back to a very uh, religious uh, i mean there's a real parallel with a lot of uh, roman catholic uh, also a couple of other religions i can think of uh, religious garb um which is interesting because uh, uh I, I, we've touched on it in other podcasts um that uh, doctor who doesn't always have the most reverence um, for, 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 for religion, religion. Yeah. yes. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's not outright insulting, um, but, but there have been some uh, hints of dissent here and there, and so I found it interesting that it, the, the, the costumes were blatantly designed to draw that parallel, uh, parallel with the mm-hmm. long robes and the big yeah. high And people collars. are called cardinals, aren't they? This yes. Cardinal. So that, that's a deliberate reference, and so you get like Cardinal Brusa, 
the yes. best Bruiser out of all the Bruisers we see in the <laughs> series as well. Very, later on, in the 80s, he's just played by people who are a bit meh. But here he's quite sarcastic and funny and powerful. And it, it works a lot better, I think. Going back to the Doctor not having companion, do we really trust the Doctor in the first episode? Because he, he starts off and he has this bizarre vision of him shooting the president. and then But he's, he's never really got anyone to say, I've just been sent this vision. We have no idea what just happened. It's like he's just decided, almost like he's decided to do it. And then, even though he says he's trying to stop it, because he can't doesn't talk to anyone about it, he just kind of runs around. And 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 then at the end, at the end of the first episode, it looks like he shot him. Yes. And, I mean, they're very very quick in episode two to establish that he didn't. You see another uh, stays that they call them stays rise, so it's quite obvious what happened. But we, it almost makes the doctor a little less, particularly um, Tom Baker's doctor, who's always a little bit madder. Yes. It makes him seem a little less trustworthy. Yes, no? Longer answers allowed? Given what we see in Hand of Fear, I wouldn't say so. I mean, he specifically states that, you know, he's, he's leaving Sarah Jane behind, that he mm. has to take her back, he can't take her to Gallifrey. Uh, he, he seems quite overcome by the fact that he's been summoned to Gallifrey, as he says, after all this time. Um... And and he immediately starts making plans. I mean, he he was possibly very confused, but I think the fact that uh, he has um, uh, bid his goodbye to Sarah Jane and, and he's dropped her off, and um, yes, I, I I think that would actually indicate that he is um, acting because uh, that's such a that, that's a big sacrifice for him to yeah. make. Um, oh yeah, no, I mean I, I know that you know we know he's called back and everything, so he's not going back on his own. But it's just my, my point, just being that he's got no one to really explain things to. He does a lot. Of, Tom Tom in this episode right. spends a lot of time talking to himself. Yes, he does. Kind of, which, which is why Philip Hinkley said to him, "No, Tom, you've got to have a companion." I think mean, there's a, that old Tom uh, Tom Baker line about he could just have a cabbage on his shoulder that he turns to and explains important plots to, um, but. You do need him interacting with someone because otherwise it's just like this 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 curly haired big eyed loon talking to himself the entire time about do, and doing weird alien things. That sounds very much like me. Your, In fact, that's a pretty perfect description of me. Your hair isn't that big or curly. Well, not today, but but you know it's it's been pretty big in the past. This is true. Can we talk about the master? Of course, we can talk about Excellent. the master. I, I quite like talking about the master. How do you find him in this episode? Yes, I think that he's always an interesting character. I I, I like his form. I, I do like his form. I, I think that, uh, that there's something uh, a little bit desperate, obviously, about the fact that he's been reduced to someone who looks like they're on the verge of, of death. You know, he looks like someone who should have died. Well, really. yes, he's, okay. He's, he's sort of decayed form. This really starts off a theme that still runs through Master Stories to uh, to today. The master just trying to survive, trying yes. to survive his own inevitable death. I mean, you see it again in El oh, Keeper Traken, Survival, the TV movie. It does come out repeatedly now as a theme of the master just trying to survive, not even necessarily trying to uh, dick with the doctor, which is was often the Roger Delgado um, it's motive. It's interesting. It's quite often a, a reoccurring theme um, that uh, people who fear death, uh, such as the master, um, actually don't um, they're usually bad characters yeah um, yeah so it is a recurring recurring theme the only trouble I have with I mean Peter Pratt's okay his voice is alright in this but 
at the same time, he doesn't really have the personality. I mean, I think partly because he has to act with this mask that doesn't have any movement on it. Yes. You know, he just like, he lacks Delgado even Ainley's, like I said before, personality. Yeah. He's a bit more generic. Potentially, but I think a lot of that is, is possibly uh, offset by the fact that he has a chance the goth to um, act on his behalf. Uh, and uh, when uh, Tom Baker's doctor faces um, uh, goth in the Matrix, in, in this mind Matrix, mm. um, he acts really quite uh, sadistically uh, towards him. Uh, you know, it's... it's uh, what, goth? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he he hunts down the doctor in a number of different guises. It, it's, leaving out of that a minute, we'll come back to the major scene in a second. If the if the fact that it was master was supposed to be a big revelation, they do actually say in the end of the credits of the first episode, the master. Yes, <laughs> I, I I I did couldn't work out that was a deliberate what. And also, there seems to be a slight confusion in a few of the early scenes where you'll see someone who I think is supposed to be goth in a cloak, but you'll hear the master's voice. Yes. So you're never quite sure sure if it's. Supposed to be I, you presume it's goth because the master can't do a lot of moving, and it's it's kind of goth's cloak that he wears. Yes. But you definitely hear the master's voice. I don't know if that was just kind of accidental or not clear in the script because you know hooded figure, and the master is hooded in this. Yes. But yes, the Matrix probably the where almost I think the entirety, virtually the entirety of episode three takes place, and like I said in the plot, it's twenty years before Keanu Reeves. Uh, I find it really interesting because it starts with very surreal. You've got samurais, you've got that weird, wonderful moment of, of the Doctor moving the sands and seeing the clown laughing at him. And it's creepy and strange and a bit like what I imagine an acid trip would be like. He a is, very bad acid trip. It, it, it's the fact that he has the, uh, the, the scarf over his mouth and, and the goggles. And especially, um, I, I found the most sinister part there, actually, is when the Doctor had his foot uh, stuck in the uh, railway track and he had the three trains coming towards him, and each one of them seemed to be um, uh, driven by goth. And, and um, it's when they focus up on the faces, uh, you know, there's a shot of the sort of trains revving up and, and then these uh, uh, goggled faces. Um, and there's also the bit with the surgeon as well, where he's yes. kind of strapped to an operating table and stuff, and that's all, it's quite, quite creepy. But once the Doctor says, OK, I accept this reality, it then becomes a more conventional game of cat and mouse, like yeah. just fighting in the jungle and surviving. And and Goth doesn't seem to have the same power over him no. anymore. Once the Doctor accepts the reality that he's been projected into, I mean, I would say now this is the again best use of Gallifrey and sorry, best use of the Matrix. Certainly, again, it's kind of revisited again, but it's never quite as uh, as effective. I don't think. Though it's actually quite well done in Trial of a Time Lord. I'll say that. But in Arkham Infinity, it's just some wavy lines, which is a bit shit. As is Ark of Infinity, really. I, I am very ashamed that the first time round I completely forgot that uh, it's in Trial of a Time You Lord. were falling asleep the first I, time round. I was round, falling so. asleep, yes, but, but still, I'm very ashamed of myself. I mean, and Goss very good in this scene. Uh, Bernard Horsfall, who played uh, Time Lord in the War Games, which is an almost nice little throwback because there's no reason to believe he couldn't be that Time Lord. But yeah, I mean, it is, it is quite a violent um, episode as well. You know, it the really do- is. The Doctor... By the end of it, looks haggard. He he he's bloodied. He's bruised. He looks pale. Withdrawn. He looks like he's been through hell. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a doctor. There's blood. I don't even know if you'd see blood these days on Doctor. I don't think we've yet seen. I can't think of any time we've seen any of the doctors covered in blood. A few cuts, maybe. Thinking of David Tennant in the end of time, but not yeah. the kind of blood you see Tom Baker in. No, no, actually, that's uh, that, that's fair enough. Uh, he he doesn't tend to die a very bloody death. No, no. Um, 
no, it, and and the last shot of the third episode was it the third episode where he was being drowned? Drowned, and that was the one that upset Mary Whitehouse. It Mary did. Whitehouse We're still talking about it in 1993. Mary Whitehouse, who, as I was explaining to Andy, if you think about it, she obviously kept watching the show week in week out to find things to complain to people about as loudly as possible. It does make her the basic prototype for a lot of internet Doctor Who fans today. <laughs> you know, this is like, I hate this, this is terrible. I must watch next week and find out how terrible it can possibly be. And you're just like, if you don't like it that much, turn off. It, it took me, uh, initially, I, I it actually uh, took me quite a lot to persuade Adam to uh, 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 view certain parts of uh, internet Doctor Who fandom because uh, he, he just, just like, no, no, sometimes, sometimes there are fans who... Uh, you know, a sort of hate anti-fans. Yeah. yeah. Well, even now I've seen, apart from all the wonderful podcasts, um, podcasting friends we have out there, there's still a lot on the internet that makes me snarl. Have you read YouTube comments? I, actually I sp- never read YouTube I have an comments. add-on for Firefox that just blocks them completely. Now That's I've been a, a lot better since idea. I did that. It, it, but that's not reduced to Doctor Who. That's everything on YouTube. Yeah, that is very true, actually. That is, that is very true. Even pictures of kittens end up being called Nazis. Uh, <laughs> do you think do you think the violence in episode three is too much? Do you think she was right to complain? Obviously that's quite hard for me to say because uh, I certainly wasn't born when the episode was aired. Uh, in fact I wasn't born for nearly a decade and a bit later. Um, it, uh, it, it, and so obviously I've, I've grown up in a slightly different time with a different standard so to me watching that violence it, it didn't even uh, particularly register but I can imagine at the time considering uh, as she pointed out it would have been on around about six o'clock so after kids are maybe just you know have eaten mm. their dinner or something and they're watching telly and it's a prime Saturday night viewing family viewing um, then, then perhaps there is a, a, a little bit of a, a beating up going on in there but, but saying that at the end of the day it's sort of I think there are many Doctor Who stories that have quite a strong moral message this is actually it's interesting about moral message because in this story the Doctor quite happily lets Goss set himself on fire yes and and it's this odd thing that now the new series has a tendency to romanticise the character of the Doctor where he's just like I've got to give everyone a choice I've got to I must abuse violence yeah back in the day I mean, Tom Baker's always quite handy with his fists. Yep. I mean, he's quite violent in this one. Seeds of Doom, excellent story, but he's just punching people left, right and centre, including twisting dudes' necks. And You're right, he, it's been a long time since the Doctor has done that. So. Yeah, uh, but, you know, my point is, in, in, even in this one, he, he's, he's, a, he's not afraid to get in there, and he's like, I'm going to... Uh, blow poison darts at you the and let is, you set yourself on fire. But the thing is, is that you have to remember as well that perhaps the the, the uh, violence there is mitigated by the fact that it's been made very clear that they're fighting in a situation that isn't real. It that, still kills kills a goth. Uh, no, as uh, uh, he, but he, I know the master does this thing to try and trap well. the doctor in once it's done. I mean, that's actually a point. The, the doctor doesn't really win this fight. He wins it by pure luck because yes. goth using all this energy to create the Matrix, and then he kind of is exhausted by the end, and that's the only reason the Doctor wins. But No, it's, it's, it's more the Matrix itself, um, from my recollection, that, that he, he dies on Gallifrey. He does not die in the Matrix. Well, no, that's my point, but he dies because he... Um, well, he the Doctor wins that fight because uh, Goth is spending all his energy... It's said Goth is spending all his energy to create the, the reality that the Doctor's trapped in, so he's spending that extra energy, so he uses yes. up his energy faster. 
Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's uh, one of those things where you know that the, there's a utilitarian argument uh, to be had in here. Um, it, at the end of the day, Goth uh, may die, but he uh, saves Gallifrey from a much uh, worse fate. And um, also, I feel that if uh, he would have been able to save Goth, if he if there was a chance he could have saved Goth, then he probably would have. I'm not too sure. Not the I fourth so. doctor. Not particularly at this stage. Of I think so. I think Considering he was on his home planet, I, I'm not criticising it as such, but I, I, I wouldn't be that surprised if he, he might have made some token effort. But I, certain, certain doctors, you know, we, we again we get something like this slightly rose tinted view of the doctor, and the program do, itself does at times as well. But oh no, he's definitely always... the doctor is, is very capable of being quite cold at times. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I really do have a gut feeling that he uh, would have helped Goff if he could, uh, even if just to see him uh, brought justice, clear his own name. and Because um, oh, it's interesting, at the end, uh, they actually uh, decide to make a hero out of him. Oh, yeah, that's a wonderful yes. thing of if heroes don't exist, we must create them. And, and, and they say that's a lot. It's a lot more palatable or something. But yes, it's great, yes, it's really a moment. Yes, sort of uh, a kind of mind control. They can't, the, the Gallifreyans can't know that there was some sort of uh, descent in the ranks and so they're just going to uh, hush it up and, and uh, make up this story about um, how uh, Chancellor Goff actually fought the Master and, and, and died doing so. Well, one thing I do like about, um, the, the, or, or one thing that the fight in the Matrix makes you think of is old Doctor Strange comics where it used to be like Doctor Strange would, would go off in his astral form to fight in another dimension or some dude with their mystic powers and it'd be like the panel would be typical Stan Lee kind of a fight that human mind cannot comprehend as reality itself threatens to rip asunder and the pictures of two dudes in astral forms just punching each other and that's what and you know so this great mystical battle comes down to two guys punching each other and, and that causes me to think of that like they're having this fight and there's another reality this new reality and it's two dudes punching each other Never underestimate the power of two people punching each other. <laughs> a few, because also this establishes the thirteen lives for the Time Lord. Yes. Obviously, when back on the Fourth Doctor, they thought they had plenty to go, and now it's obviously they're a bit more like. Uh, yeah. Um, and also, uh, Rassilon's mentioned the first time. Artron energy, which has actually come up as a plot point in a couple of. Again, a new series. Uh, the establishing uh, uh, symbol of Rassilon. Yes, which was last seen in the Revenge of the Cybermen, but it's just easier to pretend Revenge of the Cybermen didn't happen, I find. Uh, yes, yes, pretend it didn't happen and, I... and nick the symbol uh, to, to represent the Time Lords. That's fine. That's absolutely acceptable. <laughs> it's fine. Just flicking through my notes. Evidently, is... the Time Lords are the Cybermen at greater debt than they ever realised. No, it was the Volgans who had the... Uh... Oh, is it the Volgans? The Volgans. Uh, but maybe it was just a popular symbol. Gallifrey has TV. Uh, which actually makes you think because on the making of documentary you had the president or who, was pre or who was the president in 1976 of the Doctor Appreciation Society his name escapes me complaining that the, the time laws in this were too human but for me I mean that's what science fiction is about ultimately we, we can't really portray a society that an alien society that isn't in some ways recognisably human because you can't we don't really understand what alien is we, we try and present alien but it's always just another extension of humanity, maybe an extreme version of something, but it's still something we can recognise as writers. So you can't expect the Time Lords to, be to see anything but human. And, and I think he means the way they're corrupt, and there's one who complains about his hip, and he's like, well, why doesn't he regenerate? Well, I did think, well, to be completely fair, if you've got a limited number of regenerations, you're not going to regenerate just because you've got a dodgy hip. 
Yes, uh, regeneration is, is not it's, seen it's as an a, entirely it's, pleasant process. Yeah, really. it's a bit it's a bit dodgy. You poke it up with a dodgy hip and you had a more serious danger. Call yourself a fan, Mr. President. Ex-president. In all fairness, I, I, I do agree that the, the actual uh, coverage of the TV show, it, it did sound like uh, uh, somebody uh, commenting, like a, a BBC uh, person commenting well, on the royal to, coronation or something. And I know it's supposed to have that, that pomp and circumstance. And, um, and also, it, it's a way of info-dumping the, the viewer, because the Doctor would know what's happening, because he's from Gallifrey, but because we don't have a companion, you yes. have to do things like that. No, that, that, that's certainly it, um, and that's perhaps one part where it does actually suffer a little for not having a companion. Um, but in terms of this story, a companion would have been a little redundant, really. There's not a lot they could have done, so... I guess not, but you could argue that about the companions a lot of times sometimes. It's not a lot well, they could yes. do. Run around a bit, spread out the story. <laughs> Scream. Pass to the doctor, save them. Have terrible, terrible hair. Terrible hair. You, uh, Andy caught me watching Paradise Towers earlier, and it she was, was just like shocked, shocked at uh, Bonnie Langford's outfit and and hair. I've always been shocked with Bonnie Langford's outfit and hair. I'm sorry, I'm just looking for my notes right now. There's probably a few gaps of silence as I lay that out. Um, oh, just run. I quite like the music in this. Dudley Simpson again. It's kind of got this kind of organ feel. To it. it sounds like there's this big organ going around. It makes me think for some reason a little bit of Philip Glass because it keeps this kind of like repeating. Organ. I'm going to use the word motif, and I don't know if that's the right word to use. And Doctor Phil, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. I, I don't. I, think, if I I'm think misusing musical terms, is, is, is uh, actually something that uh, you you can uh, sew or embroider. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure what the word would be either, so I'm not going to embarrass myself. Okay. Like but, you just did. Well, it's got this repeating organ theme running throughout. Tom Baker, open shirt, very manly. Andy hates his shirt. I hate this shirt. In fact, that the first time we tried to record this podcast, that was the one thing I could summon up any. That was actually the only thing you were like. I hate that shirt. I hate this shirt. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not a podcast. This yeah, is that, a that disaster. Was, he literally said, "So, is this a? Uh, do, do you want to start?" I was like, "I hate this shirt," and then I fell asleep on him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Uh, it's a horrible shirt. It's really horrible. I mean, it would have been the uh, shirt that the time lords are probably wearing underneath the ceremonial uh, uh, robe thing. It's, it's a kind of, yeah. He, he, he does. It's pretty much his normal kind of shirt, isn't it? I don't maybe think not, so. Actually, maybe no, not. It's, sure. it's not. It's not his normal shirt. But he's the only doctor um, to get away wearing it because Tom Baker's the manliest doctor. I don't know, I, I think that they're, well, I, as, as far as anyone can guess away of wearing such a hideous shirt, but, but like I say, it looks like uh, uh, it, it belongs on the, the cover of a, a Mills and Boone novel. It's, it's uh, what, what's, what's the name of that like really like big, muscly, long-haired model who always goes on the front of those? Fabio. F- Fabio. Fabio. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 oh, it's that kind of shirt. Tom it's Bacon horrible. is Fabio shirt. It's such a Oh, we part. should just say this is the episode with narration in that we forgot to mention on yes. the TV movie. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because narration in this it isn't really for plot points, it's for atmosphere. Yes. It's to give a sense of grandeur, yes. grandeur to, the, to, the, to the occasion. Uh, you know, you could cut it out and it wouldn't lose anything. No. But it's got the scrolly text and everything just to make it seem bigger, I think, more epic. I think that's pretty much. It. I think I think it's a. I, I, again, I like this. It's from a classic era. I think it's. Just a, a classic here in the show's history. I think it's very good. I don't necessarily think you could have gotten away with constantly not having a companion. I think it's a very Hinchcliffe Holmes take on the master as well. He's almost 
unrecognisable. And even though he isn't my favourite master, I do think it works. I think it's just, it's great. It's a very adult story in many ways, and I think it works really well. Uh, yes, I, I would be inclined to agree with you. I, I very much like the fact that it's got quite a political element to it, um, uh, Time Lord politics. Uh, I, I enjoy that. That's a, that's a bit of a change from the norm, mm. a bit of a change of pace. Um, and I think that uh, the, the complexity of, of the plot, uh, essentially trying to uh, prevent an assassination, mm. which obviously doesn't happen, and then trying to find the perpetrator... Um, the I, I, deadly assassin, don't forget that. This assassin is definitely oh, deadly. Yes. Uh, um, but yeah, I, 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 I do think that it, it works uh, uh, pretty well. Okay, so uh, other business. Um, as I said in the last podcast, I'm very slowly working on a promo, which our lovely listeners, are, 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 that's you by the way, uh, are, are helping with. We've had a, basically. Um, instead of doing the normal promo thing of finding some music and then putting clips I was being witty and funny on there because I really can't find those clips, what I'd like you to do as, as, as the listener is to send in a clip of yourself saying, in as few words as possible, uh, why you like to listen to The Naked Scarf. In fact, if you could answer the question, you, sh- you should listen to The Naked Scarf because that would be gr- very, very gratefully received. MP3, if you could email it to, it to us at nakedscarf at gmail.com. That would be brilliant. Now, last week we had uh, Adam from the 20Megabyte.2 podcast, and we've had a couple more sent in. I should point out, these will probably be edited down from their original form. For, uh, we've had a couple sent in, first of all, from the wonderful guys at This Whovian Life. Hi! And, <laughs> hi! Hello. And um, also from Dr. Phil of the Adventures in Time, Space and Music podcast. So, have a listen. Hello, I'm Ken Socrates. And I'm Gons from This Whovian Life. You should listen to the Naked Scarf podcast because, well, you should listen to something in between the gaps of episodes of This Whovian Life. You know, I think Adam gives the podcast a distinct macho edge, don't you, Ken? I would compare him to uh, the great action heroes of our generation, uh, Stallone, uh, Schwarzenegger, and Cher. In fact, he's so manly, I think uh, you should not only listen to the Naked Scar podcast, but I think the female fan should also mail Adam their panties. I've mailed him mine. Dr. Phil, Adventures in Time, Space, and Music, telling you why you should listen to the Naked Scar podcast, because I am a regular listener. I listen to every episode that comes out, because Adam and Andy's banter is thoroughly enjoyable. It's thoroughly funny. Um, they have a great time. You can tell they really care about Doctor Who. Uh, both new and classic series, and um, every time it comes around and comes up on iTunes is updated, I listen to it every time on my must-listen-to-Doctor podcast. So please join me in listening to our good friends Adam and Andy this time and every time for The Naked Stars. So thank you very much to those guys, especially to the guys at This Whovian Life who recognize my deep connection with Cher. (laughs) And I look forward to receiving those panties in the mail, Ken. In all fairness, I think you and Cher would get on fabulously. Uh, I, as Lauren often says, I'm the campus straight man, she knows. <laughs> uh, you know what the, the sad thing is, is that uh, I, I don't think she's the only person who said that either. No, I really don't think she is. Sybil, you work in theatre, you study theatre, and everyone think you do jazz hands occasionally, everyone thinks you're a bit camp. Occasionally uh, might be a bit of an understatement. Okay, jazz hands a lot. But anyway, we, uh, more contact details, as I said, email us at nakedscarf at gmail.com. 
our tumblers nakedscarf.tumblr.com where Andy is currently posting some videos that she's so uh, wonderfully entitled Nip Slips yeah uh, which she get it Naked Scarf Nip Slips like. in which she well the last one was a, was a quick burst of Doctor Who and philosophy um, uh, yes, your yes. Your next one will be reviewing the Doctor Who pinball machine, I believe. It is, yes. They're uh, basically uh, the, the, the mini videos where I'm comparing my, my various interests to uh, very loosely related Who items. And um, I, I grew up uh, around a lot of pinball machines because my uh, father collects them. And uh, I, I used to play the Doctor Who machine quite a bit. Um, so, yes, I, I know a lot about it, but I'm not going into that now. So. Um, you can follow us at Twitter, uh, at Naked Scarf. Do you want to plug your vegan blog? Oh, if you know any vegans out there or any weirdos or any, you know, um, uh, people who might be interested in veganism or vegetarians or, or, you know, just, just people who like to eat food or uh, people who enjoy swearing, um, because uh, it's, it's quite rare, isn't it? I keep getting told off for swearing and um, and I actually got attacked on, on my vegan blog for writing an article where I used an extended metaphor about chip butties uh, 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 and, uh, and, and used the word filthy bitch and I got accused of being specious by a vegan who obviously has far more affection for sandals than I do. Um, but yes, anyway, it's vegans-take-london.com. There you go. Uh, <laughs> also writing for that is my wonderful other half, Lauren, who you can hear on our War Games podcast very briefly. I think, I think that's pretty much it, isn't it? Ah, next episode uh, is going to be one of what we hope will be regular special, where we break from our usual format of looking at a story and examine Doctor and a certain idea. Now, we're going to be looking at Doctor Who and philosophy. Yep. Which, or as I'm calling it, Doctor Who and the philosophy of doom. It's finally a chance for me to be halfway relevant. We can make a change for any either of us to be relevant, really. <laughs> so, anyway, until then, take care, folks. Welcome to This Whovian Life. This Whovian Life. This life. This life. My name is Ken Socrates of KenSocrates.com. Yeah, Gons. G-O-N-Z. Gons. We just recorded that, brother. Please, stop listening now. Uh, who's he, Watson's? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... A meaningless, insane tangent. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> You're screwing. I'm looking at you through your window. <laughs> Not this record. <laughs> Not this record. My dogs do that. Enough said. Our friendship's terminated. It was weird. I um, feel not like giving me a pep talk. This is who I am, ladies and And a man of a thousand calorie lunches. <laughs> the Norton race, everybody. What did you get at the adult novelty store this week? Planet of the Geeks. <laughs> We're going down there. Um, and there may have been a lot of more F-bombs dropped, which I don't know the protocol for F-bombs during a Doctor Who podcast, but there may have been many. Available at www.thisuvianlife.com.